Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Today, I want to talk to you about religious gaslighting. Sometimes little kids, innocent, childlike kids, can be very, very perceptive. I recently observed three little boys playing outdoors. One of them wanted to keep one of the others from playing with him and his friend. So he said, hey, Mike, not his real name. He said, why don't you go inside and play a video game? And Mike, who's about three years old, said, no, I don't want to play that game. We can learn a lot from that mindset, especially when somebody's trying to manipulate us. Just don't play the game. Proverbs 18.21 is a verse that a lot of people know and have used in different ways in religious settings. The writer says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. That fruit can be good fruit, or it can be bad fruit. Now, let's think about some words. What do you think of when I say the word game, G-A-M-E? I have some friends who are big-time hunters, and when I say the word game, well, they think about deer, pheasant, elk, things like that. Some of us who aren't big-time hunters but are sports fans think about, especially in my part of the country, well, the Chiefs won the biggest football game in the world this year. The University of Kansas, where I went and have lived ever since I came here and am a KU fan, unabashedly, KU's had a lot of big basketball games this year. There are fun games, of course. My wife, Kitsy, and I play card games. We play board games. We play Scrabble, other things. We used to play tennis when we were younger. We played pickleball once. I want to play again. That's something that's sort of on my list to do that I haven't gotten around to. And there are some not-so-fun games that people play. And sometimes we don't even know we're playing. And we just need to have the attitude of, Don't play that game anymore. My friend Paul Young says that this is his favorite joke. You may have heard it before. I think I've used it on this program. The guy goes to heaven. St. Peter's on duty that day. The guy gets there. Obviously, it's the first time somebody, you know, you only die once, right? So you get there. And this guy said, uh, well, hi, Peter. Um, What do I do? What's the deal here? And Peter said, well, you got to have 100 points to get in. And the guy said, 100 points? Okay. How do I get points? And Peter said, well, tell me some of the good things you've done. And the guy said, well, every Saturday night for almost 40 years, 
My wife and I served a meal at the local soup counter for homeless people in our town every Saturday night. Peter said, wow, that's really nice. I'll give you one point for that. The guy goes, one point? Peter said, yeah, yeah, one point. What else have you done? The guy said, well, I was a pastor for 53 years. I served a bunch of different churches, and, and I was a faithful pastor in 53 years. And Peter said, uh, I don't know. The guy said, what? What do you mean you don't know? I, I was a pastor. And Peter said, all right, I, I'll give you a point for that. The guy goes, one point? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a point. About that time, another guy from the town that this man lived in, a guy who didn't have a very good reputation and was never known to go to church or serve at the soup kitchen or anything like that, a guy came in all smiles, waved at Peter, and just walked on in. And the guy, the pastor, said to Peter, you telling me that guy's got 100 points and I only got two? Peter says, no, he just doesn't play that game. <laughs> There are games that we think we have to play that we don't even need to play. And there are games that we play that we're not even aware that we're playing them. Here are some definitions of destructive kind of games. These come from the internet. They're available to anybody. A game can be a system in which players engage in an artificial conflict. Another one says, at its most elementary level, we can define game as an exercise of voluntary control systems in which there is an opposition between forces confined by a procedure and rules in order to produce a disequilibrial outcome. Well, what's disequilibrium? And there's a guy named Piaget, P-I-A-G-E-T, and his theory creates a state of disequilibrium equilibrium or an imbalance between what is understood and what is encountered. For example, telling somebody a lie about somebody else, like saying, oh, well, you know that guy, he's, he's a drug addict. When the person saying that knows it's not true, but they're saying that in order to influence the other person to think badly about that person. Well, what they're doing is they're engaging in a mind game or a head game. When somebody tells you something that you suspect is not true, rather than argue or defend yourself or somebody else, you know, I'm learning. You can just say, I'm going to play that game. Now, of course, depending on your relationship with the person, you may need to say it in a little different way. Paul Young tells, I've been listening to him a lot lately, and I would advise that for anybody. He's, he's got a great series. It's 20 different parts it's called Restoring the Shack. Boy, it's really good, like little 25-minute things, really good. All right. In one of those, Paul Young tells a story about a time when a guy said, and I can't remember the name he used, but he said to Paul, he said, Paul, you know your friend Fred? Paul went, yeah, I know Fred. Well, the guy said, Fred thinks you're stupid and wrong about a lot of stuff. Paul said, I'm not concerned about what Fred thinks about me. I'm only concerned with what I think about Fred. I like Fred. I'm not going to listen to what you think Fred thinks about me. I'm not going to play that game. Now, how about telling somebody using words, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How about telling someone a lie 
about themselves, like saying, you always do this, or you never do that. That's not true. Not always, not never. Or sometimes we can say to someone, you're never going to change, or you're just like your mother, or, you know, different things like that. When you know it's not true. And we say those things in order to influence somebody to think badly about themselves with the desired result being control, control. And as Jesus said one time, the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His game is stealing and killing and destroying our joy, our peace, our confidence, destroying harmony, so the evil one can be in charge. And we can do that too. We can use words to control somebody with the desired result being stealing and killing and destroying their confidence, their joy, their happiness. Here's a destructive game for you. It's called gaslighting. Gaslighting is a relatively new term that's used commonly, but it actually comes from a movie that came out back in 1940 that had the word gaslight in the title. Gaslighting today means to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt into a targeted individual, making them question their own memory, their own perception, their own judgment, often evoking in them cognitive dissonance and other changes like low self-esteem. Using denial, misdirection, contradiction, and misinformation, gaslighting involves attempts to destabilize a person and delegitimize their beliefs. Instances may range from the denial by an abuser that previous abusive incidents ever occurred to the staging of bizarre events by the abuser with the intention of disorienting the victim. We don't have to play that game. A lot of people on a large scale or even a small scale, people who are very close to us, people that we just sort of know, casually know, people we don't even know at all can play that game with us, but we don't have to play that game. A guy by the name of Tony Ferretti, a licensed psychologist in Melbourne, Florida, and co-author of the book, The Love Fight, says ultimately people who engage in gaslighting behavior seek power and control. Usually their emotional manipulation and gaslighting is an attempt to distract from their own deep insecurities. Well, that's a little lesson about the destructive game, gaslighting. But in my opinion, perhaps the biggest, most destructive game and subsequent gaslighting is the game of religious gaslighting. Fortunately, the truth, Jesus, sets us free from being gamed by the system and the game of religious gaslighting. When you know the truth, Jesus, and listen to the truth and trust Jesus, you are free from playing the game of gaslighting. Now, 
the opposite of religious gaslighting that attempts to steal, kill, and destroy and uses lies and deceit, manipulation, is agape, God's unconditional, self-giving love that always does what's best for the other person. Those are diametrical opposites. The enemy who games us continually, who gaslights us, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy by deception and lies and misinformation. Many times the enemy does that in a religious setting. Sometimes it's done at work or at school or at home with our family or with a a group of friends. And many times the perpetrator is not the enemy. The enemy, with a capital T, is influencing them, their ego, their self-centeredness, to do things and their willing victims of gaslighting us and other people. For example, we can get upset when we think a comment words are directed toward us, and sometimes they're not. Recently, I posted something online, do a lot of things online, and I posted things, and I got a great deal of positive response from it, but I got one response where I thought a guy was really tearing me down and other people in the group who were commenting similarly to things that I had said. And I thought this guy was really coming after it. Now, fortunately, I'm learning. I don't do this 100% of the time, but I'm getting a lot closer to it. Fortunately, I listened to Christ in me. And instead of verbally lashing out, of course, doing it in print online, instead of verbally lashing out and condemning this other person and banning them from the group and, you know, uh, deleting them from my friend list, I nicely sent a private message and sought to understand and be understood. Wouldn't you know it? It turned out I totally misunderstood what the person was saying. And he actually didn't realize that what he was saying didn't apply to us at all. So there was misunderstanding on both our parts. As Cool Hand Luke would say, or Guy would say in that movie, we had a failure to communicate. This guy wasn't trying to criticize or manipulate or gaslight us at all. But the enemy put those thoughts in my mind. What I thought, what was my opinion, influenced by the enemy, created a conflict in my mind that could have escalated and resulted in things that were not good. So in that instance, I chose not to play the game. Now, how can we do that more and more and more, especially if we don't even know it's a game? Now, in that case, I didn't know it was a game. I had an opinion, turned out my opinion was not correct, and I decided not to play the game. Like the preacher and the other guy going to heaven and meeting Peter, just saying, ah, not playing the game. All right, so how do we do that? Well, part of the answer, I'm going to tell you today, part of the answer comes from a word that we have believed lies about its meaning. Religion has done a real job with that, taking words that meant one thing when the scripture was written and changing the words to that. One of the words that religion has used incorrectly, now hear me, people are not the enemy. The religious systems, religious institutions have done this and then 
people have come along ages and ages and ages afterwards, all the way down the line, not even knowing that they're repeating and teaching things that aren't true to begin with. So I may sound like I'm upset with religious people. I'm not. I do not have any regard for religious institutions for the most part. Okay, here's the word. Responsibility. Religion, destructive religion especially, religion that tries to game us, Religion says we have all sorts of responsibilities to their version of God. Now, generally, what they really mean is we have responsibilities to them to keep their institution going, to make them look good, to not cause trouble, and to perpetuate the institution. But they'll say we have responsibilities to God. After all, because Jesus did so much for us, we have the responsibility to do so much for him. We have responsibilities to God. That concept is not in the New Testament at all. That concept is not there with Jesus, with Paul, John, with the other writers. The concept of responsibility from Scripture means we have the ability to respond. I mean, think about the word, response-ability. We have the ability to respond. Respond to, to who or to what? Here's how we learn how to just not play the game, or even to find out if there is a game going on we're not aware of. When we hear God speak to us, we have the ability to respond. He gives us that ability. It's Christ in us, living as us, speaking to us, and then responding as us. Now, let's see where this concept comes from. Let's see what supposedly the wisest man who ever lived wrote. By the way, I've come to realize that Solomon maybe wasn't the wisest man who ever lived. Two numbers jump out at me, 300 and 1,000. Those of you who are Bible students will know those numbers and know why they, uh, uh, well, I'll just tell you. He had 300 wives and 1,000 mistresses. No possible way can that be construed as wise. All right. But here's what Solomon wrote. And, you know, Solomon did hear from God, and he wrote things that have taught us a lot of things. Solomon wrote this to one of his biological sons. And if he had 300 wives and 1,000 mistresses, I don't know which one of those biological sons he was writing to, but there probably were a number of them. Now, the truth of it, though, comes when we see that this is a picture of Papa God, as Jesus calls him, the only true God speaking to us personally. It's not so much a father speaking to a son or Solomon speaking to his son. The truth of it comes when we see that as Father God speaking to us. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And many of you will know this. It says, trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions or your own understanding." Now, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions or your own understanding. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? In the New Testament, the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, is generally translated faith. And religion has done a number on what that word really means. The actual Greek word, the meaning of it, means conviction, of the predominant idea of trust or confidence in God. 
and in Christ. Faith is not something we work up. Faith is actually trust. And there's another Greek word, P-E-I-T-H-O, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, which means to have confidence. It's also translated trust, to have confidence, to be confident, to be persuaded. The Old Testament word for trust is patach, B-A-T-A-C-H, which again means have confidence, be confident, to be bold, to be secure. Now, trust is different than faith. Trust is different than believing. So you can believe that there's a God and he's good. You can have faith that there's a God, but until you actually trust him where the rubber hits the road to show up for you and to speak to you and to have your best interest at heart and trust what he tells you is going to be right and good for you, your belief has no benefit. If you just believe that there's a God and yeah, you know, maybe... Maybe Jesus was his son. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe he's good. Doesn't look like he's good to some people. You know, that kind of belief doesn't produce anything good. Trust is a whole different story. Trust is the opposite of relying on our own opinion or our own understanding. Trust in the Lord completely. And don't rely on your own opinions or lean on your own understanding. See, when we stubbornly believe that our own opinions or our understanding of how something is right, and that's our opinion and we're going to stand on it, when we defend our certainty, what Pete Enns calls the sin of certainty, then we're not even going to know if we're wrong. And that misses the mark of God's glory, which is God's grace. So what he wants us to do with, is to, with all of our heart, rely on him, acknowledge him, Ask him to guide us. And then the scripture says, he will make our path straight or he will lead us in every decision you make. Let me read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the Passion Translation here. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. There's response ability. Listen to God, go to God in every situation that we have any doubt or any concern on and say, Lord, I want to know what you're thinking here. Please show me what you see. Let me know what's going on here. And then respond to that. That's what obedience is responding positively to what God says to you and shows you and what he asks you to say and do in the moment. That's partnering with God. That's living as one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's letting Christ in you live as you. That's called oneness in action. So here's how to not play the game and or to even find out if you are being tempted to play a game. Trust in the Lord completely and don't rely on your own opinions. So practically speaking, here's what it looks like. And I appreciate you hanging with me. Here's what it looks like. Whenever you sense a check in your spirit or a little nudge from God, a sense of dis-ease or disharmony, a question coming up in your gut or in your spirit saying, I don't know about that, or is that 
really true? Or, boy, that doesn't line up with what I think Jesus would be like, or that doesn't sound like Christ-like to me. Stop and ask God to say, Papa, Jesus, Holy Spirit, doesn't make any difference to him what you call him, okay? Just say, what's going on here? What do you want me to know, and what do you want me to do? I've done that before. I'm learning to do it more and more. I've done it before when I've been really stressed out. I've been working hard on something that I thought I was doing for God, you know, that would please God. And I just frustrated it wouldn't come together, and I just stopped. And I said, okay, Lord, what's going on here? And I've heard him gently say without condemnation, say, Paul, I never asked you to do that to begin with. You're playing a game here that's not my game. Just stop, let it go. And I have. And I just tear up all the stuff that I've been working on, put it in the trash, and take it out Sunday night for the trash man or trash woman to come by on Monday morning and pick him up. So as we get to know God better and better, as we develop our relationship with God more and more, as we learn to hear his voice more and more, as we trust him more and more, as we're more confident in him more and more, we learn just to hear him all the time. Sometimes we don't even have to stop and ask. We just hear him speaking to us. But to get to that point, many times we just need to stop and say, Lord, tell me what's going on here. And he will. And then we don't even have to play that game. It sets us free, and we're free indeed. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group. Grace to all, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.